If you happen to have a Bible close or a New Testament, I would ask you to join me in Matthew chapter 11. I'm going to read verses 28 through 30. This is Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Our Lord Jesus is speaking. Listen to his invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. It's one of the marvelous invitations that we find in Scripture to come to God. The Lord Jesus says, come unto me. He didn't say, come unto my miracles, come unto my marvelous teachings, which we want to do. But he said, come unto me. Come to a person. When is the best time to come to Jesus? The very best time in life to come to Jesus. Some of us have already found that time. That's that moment that we realize that we're a sinner. Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we know we're all sinners. And we know that Jesus Christ is the Savior. And so when we make that divine appointment, no one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him. The Holy Spirit has to draw us to Jesus Christ. But once we're drawn to him and we say something like this, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. I turn away from them. Come and live in my heart and be my Lord and my Savior. The Bible calls that being born again. The Bible refers to it as being saved. The scripture says we become sons of God. The Bible says our name is put in a book of eternal life. So when we have that divine moment of confessing, of repentance, of putting our faith and turning our life over to Jesus Christ, that's life's most important moment. That is a divine moment appointment. When we look around at our society today, we notice that there are a lot of people who have not yet come to Jesus. If you happen to be one of those today, I hope you'll listen carefully to the message because more than anything else, what every person needs is a personal relationship to God and for Jesus Christ to live in the heart through the person of the Holy Spirit. Young people have a tendency to say, uh, well, one of these days I might get around to knowing God. Maybe I'd like to know more about Jesus, but what's the rush? I'm young, so I'm going to take my time. A new married couple might say, well, we're trying to get our marriage started. We're trying to get life together, and uh, we're just too busy right now with our own personal affairs. And families often say, uh, oh, there are so many activities. Well, we've got soccer and we've got music lessons and we've got Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts. We've got so many activities. And uh, right now we just don't have time to put God into our schedule. I hope you'll never say that. Sometimes uh, when the nest is empty, that husband and wife will say, well, hooray. We've got some time for ourselves now, so we're going to kind of major on some things that we want to do and some plans we've had in the background, we're going to bring them to the front. 
And that elderly person could say, I haven't lived too bad a life. Uh, I've been respectful. I've tried to do right things. I think I've done more good than I've done bad. And uh, I'm not really sure that uh, I need Jesus Christ in my life. Don't ever make excuses. Don't ever make postponements for Jesus Christ becoming your personal Savior. When the invitation is there and the arms are open and Jesus says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul. And we're going to come to that in a little bit. What does he mean when he says, Give rest for your soul? So this morning we're looking at this subject, the best time to come to Jesus. I want us first of all to note that the best time to come to Jesus is when we're glad. You say, uh, Claude, wait just a moment. I I heard you read that scripture. In fact, I've got it in front of me right now. It says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. It doesn't say anything about uh, being happy or being glad or, you know, everything coming up roses. It doesn't say anything about that. No, I know that it doesn't. But I want to emphasize in the beginning that just because life perhaps has been smooth, Life has been good to you. You've had a lot of the world's goods. And uh, for some reason, you've just said, uh, I think I'll keep God on the sideline. In case there's an emergency someday, I'll be able to call him in and we'll be able to have him when he's really needed. But I want us to keep in mind that God wants us to come to him when life is good, when things are running smoothly. We need to come to God. I want to give you three reasons why we need to do that. We need to do that because God likes glad times. For some reason, we picture Jesus as a man with a face as long as a saxophone. He kind of looks like a crabapple put up in dill pickle juice. Uh, That's not the Jesus I know. The Jesus I know is a man of happiness, a person of laughter, a person that likes to give blessings a person that likes to see little children come to him, a person that likes to make life different, better, the best for people. That is the Jesus that I have come to observe. In fact, I noticed that he's invited to a wedding and he saves the day for that bride and groom when he turns the water into wine, which is his first miracle. In also the 11th chapter of Matthew, slipping back up to verse 18, listen to what Jesus says. For John, that's John the Baptist. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her actions. Now, I don't think that Jesus was a glutton, and I don't think he was a drunkard. But I think he did know how to fellowship with people, how to love people. I think he knew how to surface the very best for people. I think he wanted people to enjoy laughter and good times. So any time that we leave God out of the good times, we're leaving him out of a whole lot of the best of life. Does God know how to have a party? In Pampa, Texas, where I pastored from 1985, excuse me, 1972 to 1985, we had a great youth revival. A lot of kids got saved, 
and they were baptized. And sometimes the other youth sitting out there, when one of their friends would go under the water, they would say, uh, way to go, John. Oh, that's good, Mary. And sometimes they would applaud. And one of my wonderful deacons, good man, he came to me and he said, Pastor, uh, this thing's getting out of hand. It's just getting to be too much. There's too much going on during all of this baptizing and these young people. And I said to him, uh, what do you think the angels are doing? What do you think they're doing when these people come to Jesus and these people follow Jesus in baptism? What are the angels in heaven doing? I can tell you what they're doing. They're doing backflips and high fives, and they're saying hallelujah and glory to God and way to go. That's exactly what they're saying. Well, one of the most beautiful pictures in all the Bible of who God is and what God is like is found in the 15th chapter of Luke's gospel. Sometimes we call it the prodigal son. I like to call it the loving father because that's really who it is, the loving father. This prodigal son got his inheritance, went to the far country, wasted it, wine, women, and song. He comes to his senses one day out in the pig pen, and he says, I'm going to go home to my dad because his servants are better than this. I want you to listen to this. But while he was still a long way off, that's this prodigal son coming home, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said this to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. That's the word I want you to see. When this wayward son comes back, splattered with pig manure, probably hasn't bathed for weeks, hair undone, unkept, clothes ragged, struggling half the person he used to be, but his dad runs down the road and he meets him. And the tent tells us he kissed him again and again and again and again. And then he yelled to the house, bring out that fatted calf. Strike up the band. Bring in the neighbors. We're going to celebrate. My dear people, that's who God is. And that's what God is like. And he wants us to have good days. He wants us to celebrate. And so when any time, any time that we leave Jesus out of the glad times, then we know that we are leaving him out of the times that God really likes. We need also to remember that most of life is filled with glad times. Most of life. We all have our down days. We all have our struggles, challenges. I know you've had some all those of you sitting out there listening in your homes today or wherever you are, we've all had those times. I've had some, you've had some, but most days are good. Most days it's the abundant life. Most days it's living on the sunshine side of Happy Avenue. That's where God likes us to take up residence. And so most of us have good days. 
When I look back at my life, I could probably put all the bad days, crowd all of them all through the years, and put them in one year. I'm 84 years old. But I look at all of my life and I think, uh, gracious, it's been a good life, an abundant life. It's been the Jesus life. Jesus came into my heart when I was 10 years old. So I've had him there for 74 years. And what a blessing it is to have Jesus, to live in your life as your personal Savior. And to experience so many good, overflowing days. Be sure that... uh, When life is good, when all you can smell is roses, when it's prime rib on the plate, be sure you don't forget God on those days because God likes those kind of days. Those are most of our days. And then I'd like for us also to notice this, that temptation is the greatest when life is the easiest. We have to remember that Satan is a roaring lion prowling about, seeking whom he may devour. He works through temptation. It's not a sin to be tempted. Not a sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted in all ways as we are, but without sin. The sin is to give the temptation a place to operate. We don't want to do that. We want to be sure that we are resisting temptation. There is a scripture over in the Old Testament in 2 Samuel chapter 11 verse 1. It says this, in the spring when kings march out to war, David remained in Jerusalem. Springtime when kings go to war, David the king, a man after God's own heart, remained in Jerusalem. And while Joab was leading his army out in the field, One evening on his rooftop, looking out, he saw a beautiful woman by the name of Bathsheba. She was a married woman. David had three wives, but he sent for her, had her to sleep with him. She sent a message to him a little later, I am pregnant. We want to remember that when life is really moving on, Everything is just like we dreamed and planned. Sometimes that's when temptation moves in and targets us, sinks us. As a pastor for 40 years, I noticed something. I spent uh, 28 years pastoring in Texas, then came back to New Mexico where I'd grown up. And I was at the Baptist building for 20 years as the executive director. Then after I retired... Monterey asked me if I'd be their pastor, so I did that for 12 and a half years. So I was 30 years as a pastor, and uh, excuse me, 40 years as a pastor, and 20 years as an executive director. And then recently I just concluded an interim pastorate at First Baptist Church of Albuquerque over on Paseo del Norte on the west side. So 65 years in ministry, and I noticed this through the years. I never had anyone, when I was pastoring, call me and say, Pastor, would you please come out to the hospital? Dad in the ICU wants to talk to you. And so I go out there. I go into ICU. He puts his oxygen mask up just for a little bit, and he says to me, Pastor, I need for you to pray for me. I keep lusting after this blonde, shapely nurse who comes in to take my vitals. I never had that to happen. I never had that to happen. I never had anyone to call me 
while I was in Monterey for 12 and a half years, from just down the street on Lomas to the French funeral home, and say, please come down here, Pastor, and help us. You think you're going to help plan the funeral? And they say, would you help us? We, we keep coveting the French provincial furniture and the Persian rugs on the floor. I never had that to happen. When life is tough, when life is rough, when we're down, it's pretty easy to stay focused on God. But when life is smooth and easy, everything is in abundance. Sometimes we leave him out. And so we want to remember that the best time to come to Jesus is when we're glad, when life couldn't be smoother or better. We need to come to him at that time. There's a second thing we need to notice. The best time to come to Jesus is when we're sad. When we're sad. We will go back to the scripture and see what it has to say. Because Jesus does give an invitation that, oh, it's needed especially today. Life seems so topsy-turvy, upside down. It seems like, what's tomorrow going to hold? How far down is the stock market going to go? How many people are going to get coronavirus? How many people are going to pass away from it? There's so many questions, so much anxiety. I hope that we'll remember what Jesus said, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. What does that mean? It says all who labor and are heavy laden and overburdened. That's what the Amplified Version says. It is a picture of continual weariness and exhaustion. It means life without a minute of relief. Jesus, one time as he approached Jerusalem, he looked at the people and he burst out in tears. Because he said they're, they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're harassed. And some days we feel, especially in these days, we feel harassed. We feel like a soccer ball that's been kicked from every angle to every side. But we want to keep in mind that when we're sad, the Lord Jesus says very clearly, Come to me, all you who are weary, beaten, battered, burdened. I want you to come to me. Let me share with us four particular times in life that we really are sad. It comes to all of us sooner or later. First of all, rejection can make us sad. Rejection. Have you ever been rejected? Maybe uh, there was a time you asked a certain girl for a date and she said, no, I don't really believe... (laughs) I want to do that. I don't think I want to go with you. Or maybe you wanted some fella to ask you to the prom, but you ended up, there was no one to take you to the prom. You were completely rejected. Maybe there was a job you applied for. You really wanted it. You qualified. You could have done that job, but they hired somebody else. Less education, less experience. Maybe they knew the right political strings to pull, and so they got the job. Our tragedy of all tragedies, is there someone out there that you've had a mate, your spouse, your husband, your wife, and one day they said to you, I don't want to be married to you anymore. I can still remember pastoring at Pampa, One Wednesday evening, just before Bible study time, I had a side door on my office. One door went out through the secretary, and that door, I guess, was the 
escape hatch anyway. You could go out that door and be in the hall. And that knock, knock, knock came on the door. And I opened it, and there stood one of my members. There stood Betty. She was weeping so loudly I could not even understand what she said. I said, come in, Betty, sit down, sit down. What's wrong? What's wrong? She sat down and finally got her, got her breath, got her composure. And she said, call her husband by name. Said he came in a little bit ago and said he doesn't want me anymore. He's found someone younger and prettier. And sure enough, he divorced her after 33 years of marriage, two grown daughters. Rejection, rejection. We all have times that people reject us. Sometimes it can be your own children that go a different way of life than you've reared them and you've wanted them to, to live but they reject that way of life. Whenever we experience rejection, we need to remember some of the people of the Scripture. I think of Joseph in the Old Testament, the man with a coat of many colors, about 17 years of age, and his ten half-brothers grab him one day and rip off the coat, tear it up, kill an animal, sprinkle the blood in it, put him in a pit, take that bloody, ragged coat to the father, Jacob, and say, it looks like a wild beast has gotten a hold of Joseph, and so they put him in a pit and then they sell him in a slave caravan headed to Egypt and he gets over there in Potiphar. Potiphar is a man who has position in Egypt and there in Potiphar's house he puts Joseph in charge and the Bible says that Joseph was handsome and Potiphar's wife kept trying to seduce him, seduce him, seduce him and he kept rejecting her and finally one day she ripped off his coat and he took out the door. And she said, he tried to rape me. He tried to rape me. Lied. He was rejected. Went off to prison. Spent about 13 years in prison. He interpreted dreams. He interpreted one for the cupbearer. And when the cupbearer got back into the king's palace and got in the position, he forgot about Joseph. There is rejection. Rejection. But I noticed something. He never got bitter. He never went sour on the world. He never said, why me? Wherever he was, whether it was in the pit or at Potiphar's or in the prison or in the palace, he was always the same, the same. Think for a moment about Jesus. If Jesus says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, does that mean that if I come to him, he'll really understand the rejections that I've received in life, maybe even presently? Will he understand that? I have a feeling that he knows all about that. You know, he was born in a barn because there was no room for him in the inn. Mary and Joseph were rejected from a nice place and put out with the animals in a barn. I look at him with his um, disciples, and I see that uh, one of them that lived with him for those twelve, uh, three and a half years, one of those twelve named Judas Iscariot, I see he sold him for the price of a slave, 30 pieces of silver, and he rejected him. Jesus said he could not do many mighty miracles in his hometown of Nazareth because they rejected him. They rejected him. Our Lord Jesus knows everything about rejection, and it does make us sad. It breaks our heart. But let's keep in mind, we can come to the one who has experienced nearly every type of rejection that there is. 
and he will receive us gladly with open arms. There's a second thing that makes us sad. Death of loved ones can make us sad. Have you ever experienced the death of a child? I had two children, a girl and a boy. My daughter uh, is a college professor at East Texas Baptist University at Marshall. My son was a corporate pilot. He flew out of Albuquerque. He flew his boss and his uh, son down into Texas one Sunday. At about 1 o'clock on that Monday morning, my phone rang. And my son's boss was on the other end. And he said, uh, Claude, I need to talk to you for just a moment about Craig, my 37-year-old son. I said, okay. He said three words. He said, Craig is dead. I said, what in the world happened? I knew the plane didn't crash because Ed was talking to me. He said, well, he borrowed a pickup at the airport, and he went into town to eat, and coming back on a narrow bridge, there was an accident, and the pickup he was in burst into flames. He said the only way we could recognize him was his name on his belt buckle. It's tough to give up a child. It's tough. Have you ever given up a mate, your soulmate, your life's dream? I was married for 56 years, wonderful, godly, preacher's kid, wonderful preacher's wife. The last 27 years of her life, she fought Parkinson's disease. I remember standing by her bedside at Anna Caseman Hospice and watch her draw her last breath. It's hard to give up your life's mate. But you know, when you come to Jesus, you come to someone that understands death in the family. I don't know exactly when it happened, and I know an argument from silence is a weak argument. I know that. But sometime in the life of Jesus, Joseph, his foster father, died. You say, the scripture doesn't say anything about that. No, but if he had been alive when Jesus died on the cross, he would not have had to have given the, given, given the keeping of his mother to his apostle John. Joseph could have taken care of Mary. It's very evident that he's gone. He's not there. And what about John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, six months older than Jesus? They come and tell Jesus, John the Baptist, as you know, has been in prison. Jesus knew that. He's been beheaded. He's dead. He's gone. I see my Lord Jesus Christ standing at the tomb of Lazarus. And as he stands there, he says some words. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, and even though he dies, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who should come into the world my favorite verse in all the scripture, it's already on my tombstone. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Death for a Christian is always a promotion. 
But when we lose our loved ones, we want to keep in mind, Jesus says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The scripture says, as our days, so shall our strength be. Even though death brings sadness, Jesus brings victory. There's a third thing I want us to notice about making us sad. Suffering can make us sad. Suffering. You ever had an excruciating pain that you thought you would rather die than live? Have you ever fought cancer or Parkinson or some other disease? I remember when my urologist told me in 2004, he said, you have a very aggressive type 3 carcinoma bladder cancer. I went to MD Anderson. They told me the same thing down there. They said, go back to Albuquerque and take chemotherapy. Then you can come back and we'll see what we can do for you. So I came back to Albuquerque and for three months went to the New Mexico Oncology Center. I remember looking in the mirror one day. I didn't have a hair on my head, didn't have eyebrows. I looked at that bald head and I thought, gracious. But I remembered they don't put marble tops on cheap furniture. So I tried to keep that in mind. But I looked there and I didn't have any hair. I remember one night I got up, I, got, I hurt so bad I couldn't stay in bed, but I got up and walked and I hurt so bad I couldn't walk. I spent eight days on the operating table at MD Anderson. I spent uh, 32 days in Houston, eight hours on the operating table, eight days in the hospital, but here I am today. Here I am today. I got to thinking one day, now, now, I'm not a sob sister nor a sympathy seeker, so don't get that idea. I just want to tell you that what I try to preach, most of it I've experienced. And you keep your eyes on Jesus. You keep focused on your faith. You stand on the solid rock. Because we can come to Jesus when we're sad, when it's caused by suffering. I've been to the operating room, put to sleep had some kind of a surgical procedure, not wisdom teeth, not cataracts, but some type of a surgical procedure 16 times, 16 times. About six or seven of those times is connected to that cancer business. But uh, we all know what pain is like, what suffering is like. When I turn back to the Old Testament, I look at my favorite person in the Old Testament by the name of Job. And let me just quote it. It says that, Satan struck Job with boils, with sores, from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And he was in excruciating pain. But still, I noticed that my friend Job never blamed God. Oh, he had his moments. Yes, he had his moments that he, he said, if I could just find God, God went silent on him. If I could just find him, I'd plead my case before him. But if any man ever knew suffering, he already had 10 fresh graves out in the family cemetery of his seven sons and three daughters. His wife had already invited him to curse God and die. And now Satan has struck him with all this pain and all this suffering. Jesus says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, that are burdened. Does Jesus know anything about pain? Does he know anything about having his back beaten raw? Does he know anything about being spit upon, back slapped, trying to drag an old Roman giblet down the cobblestone streets of Jerusalem and falling under the weight? 
Simon picks his cross up and takes him? Does he know anything about nails in his hands and his feet? Does he know anything about the piercing of his side? Does Jesus have any acquaintance or any idea what pain is like? I think he could write the dictionary. He could give the definition of what pain is really like. We need to come to Jesus when we're suffering because he understands. He's experienced that. There's a fourth thing I want us to notice. Disappointment can make us sad. Have you ever been disappointed? Maybe you were disappointed in some friend, some person. Maybe you were disappointed, as we mentioned earlier, a mate who said they didn't want you anymore. Disappointed one of your children that uh, they don't give you much attention. They don't come around very often. Have you ever been disappointed in yourself? In yourself. You say, why did I say that? Why did I do that? Was Jesus ever disappointed? Was he disappointed in his disciples? They're walking along and Jesus is behind and uh, he gets with them. He said, what were you talking about? And they said, well, we were talking about which one of us is the greatest. That's what we were talking about. Which one of us is the greatest? And then, you know, there's a time also that uh, he was disappointed immensely when Judas slipped up and put a kiss on him. A kiss on him. This man had seen his miracles, heard his teachings. He had watched Jesus for three and a half years. But he put a kiss of death on him. Was he disappointed? When Jesus heard Peter who had said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. When he said, You have the words of life, Lord, where are we going to go? When he heard him three times say, I don't know him. No, I might have a little Galilean accent, but no, I don't know Jesus. When he couldn't do those mighty miracles in Nazareth. Does Jesus know anything about disappointment? I think he knows everything. And although these things make us very sad, very sad, rejection, death, suffering, disappointment, Jesus knows everything about every one of them. He knows everything. So we need to come to Jesus when we're glad, when we're happy, when life couldn't be better. We need to come to Jesus when we're sad, when we're beaten and battered and down and filled with anxiety and all kinds of questions. He says, come unto me. And then I want to notice one final thing. We need to come to Jesus when we're bad. When we're bad. Come when you're glad. Come when you're sad. But also come when you're bad. When I look back at that passage in Matthew, I notice what he says. Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I want us to look at that word soul for just a moment. You'll find rest for your souls. In the Old Testament, the word soul occurs 750 times. The words sometimes indicate the whole person. 
Genesis 2, 7 says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living soul. A living soul. The word is also used in the Old Testament to refer to the inner life, psychologically or spiritual states of the human person. Over in Psalm chapter 42, it mentions the word soul three or four times. Talking about that inner person, the person who really lives inside of us, the eternal part of us, the God part of us. In the New Testament, often the word soul is used interchangeably for soul and spirit. Soul and spirit. Jesus said this, Don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Now what's he saying? He's saying, you know, there are men that can take your body, they can take your life, they can shoot you, they can kill you, they can do that. But he said there's only one person that can take your body and cast your soul into hell. And that's God. And Jesus said what you need to do is you need to fear Him. That has a reverence, a, 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 an awe for God Himself. Again, Jesus said, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit or lose his own soul? Soul. We're flesh and blood, but we're also spirit and soul. There's a part of us when this body dies that is never going to die. It's the soul, the soul. And that's the part that has relationship to God. That's the part we want God to move in and cleanse and purify. We want our soul to have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Let me just say two things about come to Jesus when you're bad. First of all, we need to come to him because he has the answer to sin. Every person has a sin problem. I've already quoted a couple of verses. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. So we all have that sin problem. Regardless of how far we've gone into sin or haven't gone, we're still sinners. Sinners by nature, sinners by choice. And the Bible says that the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. He came to seek and to save those who were lost, alienated, cut off from God. His mission is redemption. He wants everybody to know God personally. He wants everybody to go to heaven. It's God's will that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I read in the scripture God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus Christ, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus never sinned, but God put the sins of the whole world on him. He punished sin in his son, the Lord Jesus the scripture also says in 1 John chapter 1, he says, the blood of Jesus Christ purifies us, cleanses us, purges us of all sin. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Ah, you say, well, Claude, when you come to Jesus, do you become perfect? <laughs> no, but you do become perfectly forgiven. 
And that's big business. Perfectly forgiven by the blood, the cleansing, the power of Jesus Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit inside. We need to come when we're bad because that's why Jesus came. He came to make bad people acceptable to God, fit for heaven. Then I want us to notice also that we can take comfort in the others who have come, who have come. Some very moral people and some very immoral people. I think of Nicodemus, third chapter of John, member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of 70. He was one that uh, he lived by the Shema. You say, what's the Shema? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. He lived by that. He taught it to his children. He went to his synagogue every Saturday. He went there to teach the word. He went there and took his tithe with him, 10% of his income, and to present it there. He went there to pray. He went there to sing. He went there to worship. And in his home, he always, on the doorpost, and at every meal, he had the Shema there for his children to see. On the day of Pentecost, he would all, on the day of atonement, he always wanted to participate in that. He was a moral man. He was a religious man. But he was a lost man because Jesus said to him, unless you're born again, Nicodemus, you'll never see the kingdom of God. And eventually, as you watch him in the scripture, on another occasion, he defends Jesus. And when Jesus dies, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus come and beg his body and they bury him. So he did have that experience of knowing Jesus, even though he had high morals, high character, was church going, had religion. And then I think of a lady at the well who was married five times. The shortest trip in her life was from courthouse to courtship, courtship to courthouse. She made five round trips and she said, that's enough. And she found a guy that would just live with her. And so they just lived together. But Jesus told her this. He said, I've got water. If you'll drink of my water, you'll never thirst again. She took a big drink. Her whole city took a big drink. Because she took Jesus as her Savior. I want to read, I want to read what the Apostle Paul said. We think often of Paul writing 13 books of the New Testament made three missionary journeys and a final journey to Rome, wrote four of those epistles from prison. When he wrote to Timothy, the young preacher, he said, the, he said this, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who's given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. <laughs> the persecutor became a preacher. Became a preacher. God's grace. You know, there's no one so good that they don't need Christ. We looked at Nicodemus. There's no one so bad, looked at the woman at the well, married five times, that they don't need Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. And here is the good word, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden a burden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from, upon you and learn from me, and I will give you rest for your soul. I'll make you right with God. 
I'll get you ready to go to heaven when you die. One of two things is going to happen in our lifetime. Number one, we're going to die. Number two, Jesus is going to come. And either way, whether we die or Jesus comes, our soul is going to live, live forever. Even in, either in an eternal heaven with God, the angels, the redeemed, or an eternal hell. Come to Jesus when you're glad. You couldn't be happier. Life couldn't be better. Come to Jesus when you're sad. You couldn't be lower. Life couldn't be worse. Come to Jesus when you're bad. But the important thing is, come to Jesus. The last book of the Bible is the book of Revelation. One of the last verses, it's not the last verse, but it's in the last chapter. It's right close to the end. Jesus says this, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Free gift of salvation, eternal life, forgiveness, heaven, God's free gift. Let's pray together. Loving Father, I want to thank you for all of your blessings. We do thank you that the majority of our days are glad days, good days, the best days. And Father, when we do have those sad days, when we're trampled upon and kicked around and sadness and sorrow and grief and disappointment come, you have open arms and you say, come to me. And Father, we know we're all bad because we're all sinners. We've all missed the mark, fallen short. I pray today, Father, that you will help us to know that you love sinners, that you receive people that are not perfect, that you want us to come and experience your grace, your love, your mercy. Father, I pray that those people out there who are, who are listening in, that the message has spoken to them, that the best time to come to Jesus is now, today. The divine appointment is this moment. I pray that you'll help them, help them to turn to Jesus, whatever the need. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let me say, if you're out there today and you've heard the message, and maybe most of your life has been good and been glad, and thank God for that. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. You've had those sad moments, suffering, rejection, sorrow, disappointment. God wants to see us through those times of life. And you know that you are not perfect, that you have sinned. Look at the Ten Commandments. Have you broken any of those? We're all sinners. But keep in mind, God loves sinners. He has grace and mercy and forgiveness and cleansing for sinners, sinners like me, sinners like you. I want you today, if you've never received Jesus, to pray a prayer with me. Let it come from your heart. Don't just parrot what I say. Let these words be your words and you express them to God himself, to the Lord Jesus. 
pray this. Lord Jesus, I know I am a sinner. Forgive me of my sin. I turn away from a sin-style life and I turn my life over to you. Lord Jesus, come and live in my heart. Live in my heart and be my Lord and be my Savior. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer, you'd like a little more encouragement, a little more instruction, let me give you a phone number or people waiting for your call. If you're outside of the Albuquerque area, it's 505. It's 858-8609. 505 area code 858-8609. Maybe you are a Christian. Maybe you're alone today. Maybe some of the things we have said speaks to where you are right this moment. Rejection, sorrow, disappointment, suffering. If you'd like to have a prayer, personal prayer, call that number. and Let one of these counselors pray with you and help you. It'll be my joy to be here again next Sunday. I hope that this week you find God like you've never found Him before. I pray that you will turn to Him with every need. He is a loving, heavenly Father. Jesus Christ is the Savior with open arms. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. And the Holy Spirit is the comforter, the counselor. If you trusted Jesus, he lives in you. If you'll ask Jesus to come into your life, he'll come to live in you. Turn to God. Keep your faith in him. Let's pray, and we're dismissed. Loving Father, we thank you for your word. It's truth. It's powerful. It's clear. I pray today, Lord, that the invitation of Jesus has gone out and every person understands it. Jesus stands with those open arms and open heart. And he says, come unto me, whatever your need is, whoever you are, come unto me. I'll meet the need. And above all else, I can give rest for your soul. That inner part, that inner person, that eternal part of you, I can give rest to that soul. Thank you for this time of worship. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And God bless you.